When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Doctor has won the European Cup for Manchester United. It's absolutely astonishing. The double is definitely Manchester United's. for Ronaldo to think about it. Oh! Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night. Manchester United are a few small details away as we're recording this from signing a, a centre-back, Leicester City and England's Harry Maguire, 80 million, an amazing fee for a player who should prove important to United over the coming seasons. Welcome to Series 5, Episode 2 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. We're taking a look at Harry Maguire. We'll also talk about the possibility of a Lukaku-Dybala swap for Juventus, which now seems incredibly unlikely, and the possibility of United signing Croatian striker from Juventus, Mario Mandzukic. We'll also look ahead to the Chelsea game on August the 11th as the Premier League kicks off in just under a week's time. Um, football kind of feels like it's already back with the Community Shield. A few pre-season friendlies have come back into the United Kingdom and uh, and the Football League has got started as well. So football feels like it's back already, but it'll probably feel back when United kick off against Chelsea at the weekend at Old Trafford. So we'll be talking all that. But to start with, Jack, Harry Maguire, 80 million. Three years ago, he went with his mates to Euro 2016 as an England fan. And now he's the, well, he's about to be, as we record this, the most expensive defender in the world. Before we get onto the onto the kind of important stuff, the more serious stuff, it just must be incredible for him. He must just be sitting there thinking, I can't believe this. Yeah, I mean, to everyone listening to this, think about where you were three years ago. You know, that's not a particularly long time in your life, especially for someone who's an adult. And to think three years ago, like you said, he was going to Euro 2016 with his mates just for a laugh, basically, and to watch England 
have a typically terrible tournament. And now he's on the brink of becoming the most expensive defender in history. That is just a, a ridiculous rise. And it speaks to how much he's improved as a footballer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we started this podcast, Maguire was still a, a relative yeah. unknown. Um, hadn't signed for Leicester City yet. Was he playing for Mike Phelan at Hull for that point? At that point? I think, yeah. Yeah, he was playing for Mike Phelan at Hull City. He was about to join Leicester for, I think it was about 12 million or something. Um, yeah. And he'd only just joined Hull from Sheffield United for around 4 million. So, yeah, the rise is is incredible. Let's go to, to the price, the player, uh, kind of delve into that. Eighty million pounds is is the reported fee. I think Leicester are saying eighty five, and United are saying eighty, and they're kind of having a battle in the press to come off best. What does that price mean? Well, to me, it seems like because of that fee, world record fee, breaks the the Van Dyke fee that Liverpool paid to Southampton about a year and a half ago, January twenty eighteen. It basically means he's he's going to be expected to transform the United defence in the way that Van Dyke did at Liverpool. Not just not make mistakes, not just be a good defender, but also transmit calmness, composure and leadership to those around him. That's that's what eighty million means for United and, and for this signing. Absolutely, yeah. You come with a price tag that much, the expectations do get higher. But as I said last last time on this on the podcast, no one talks about Van Dyke's price anymore because he did exactly what he was brought in to do. He transformed Liverpool's defence. And yes, Harry Maguire is very, very overpriced. But at the end of the day, I don't really care. He is a, it's a position where, that we need in a new player. Hopefully he can come in and have a similar effect to what Van Dyke has done. And from the way that we've been trying to play in pre-season, playing out from the back, Maguire is a perfect fit for that. Has Premier League experience. He should be able to come in and, you know, not have to take too long to transition into becoming a part of our side. So yeah, it's a lot of money, but it was a signing we needed and it's a signing that I think is a good one. Well, yeah, the thing is, Harry Maguire is not a, a world record fee kind of player. And I don't think that's because he's he's a defender. I think there's there's nothing wrong with paying in this market this much for a defender if he's going to change your team. If that's where the weakness lies in Manchester United's team and that's the thing that's going to help to propel us forward and take us out of this six-year slump, then, then pay that fee. But Maguire isn't a world record kind of player. Um, how good is he? Well... <laughs> He's good enough to have, have made the step up every time it's been asked of him. He's good enough to have made the step up from Sheffield United to Hull, from Hull to Leicester, and then from Leicester to playing extremely well at the World Cup with England. And and now to United? Well, we'll see. Absolutely. Every time he's been asked to make that step up in his career, he's done it with relative ease, to be honest. Like you said, going from Sheffield United then to Hull, impressing enough at Hull to earn the move to Leicester, and becoming a regular in the England team, and a very good England team, let's be honest having played at Leicester alongside some, you know, relatively mediocre defenders alongside him. No disrespect to Leicester, but the players he'll be alongside at United will be a step up, even if we don't have the best squad in the league at the moment. So I'm very confident that he will be able to handle that step up and handle the pressure. Obviously, coming with a big price tag adds some pressure on him, like we saw with Pogba and that Pogba still deals with to some extent. But at the end of the day, the way that you deal with that and the way that you put that to bed is to put in great performances. I'll keep banging on about it all day. No one talks about Virgil van Dijk's price anymore because he's come in and he's established himself as probably the best centre-back in the world. And if you put in those kind of performances, I'm not saying Harry Maguire is ever going to become the best centre-back in the world. But if you come in and you play well, four four or five months down the line, no one's going to be talking about how much he cost. Everyone's going to be talking about how much of an impact he had on the pitch. I I think the the key thing to grasp is that the reason that United have, have paid 
uh, this much for Maguire. We'll, we'll see how can he make the step up. We, we'll see, but I think that his personality and and the chance that he will become a leader at the club is is part not even partly is a key reason for the signing and a, and a key reason for United paying over the odds because I mean let's not bullshit. United have overpaid massively for, for Maguire. I don't think there's any doubt about that. City wanted him, but they didn't need him quite as, as desperately as we did. And they withdrew their interest a long, long way before there was even talk getting close to a world record fee. And I think rightly so. I think if you asked at the start of the summer, how much is Harry Maguire worth in this in this crazy, crazy market? I think you would still say 50 million, 55 million. Um and yet United have paid 30, 25 million more 100%. than that. Now, United could have bought a 50 million defender and a 25 million defender. Would that have done the job? Well, probably not, because that's the kind of policy that United have adopted for the last few years. To think about the defenders we've bought, we've bought Lindelof and Bayer. It's, it's been an issue we just have not addressed. So the combination of Maguire's leadership and, and the desperate need to fix this issue that hasn't been addressed for so many years makes the 80 million fee or, or 85 or however much it is probably justifiable and the players we've bought have been Lindelof and Bailly two young 22 23 year old defenders from outside of the Premier League and going back further were Jones and Smalling two very young players who were bought uh, to be the understudy to Rio and Vidic and eventually take over which obviously didn't work this is the the first time United have signed a a proven centre-back probably since well I'm not sure I can provide an example it, it might be Rio Ferdinand himself, who wasn't that established yeah. when we bought him. He was just expensive because he was a young English player. That, I was going to say Ferdinand, but he he was he was pricey, but he wasn't he wasn't a proven centre back. There was still a lot of talk, and and it, no, it wasn't established. Yeah, talk about Van Dijk. No one mentioning the price tag. Well, Rio Ferdinand is is the further example back, and Gary Pallister as well for United. Two defenders that United probably overpaid for, but when you looked at the end of their careers. No one talks about how much Rio Ferdinand costs. I mean, Ferdinand's transfer fee was astronomical for the time that it was it. I think we bought Bailly and Lindelof for less than we paid for Ferdinand. I mean, that that gives you some idea of how expensive Rio yeah. Ferdinand was at the time. But like you said, no one talks about that now because he went on to become one of the best centre-backs the Premier League has ever seen. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not sitting here and saying that Harry Maguire is going to go on to have that kind of career. But the point remains that ultimately what you do on the pitch is what what counts the most you know I use the Pogba example as well as a as a way of saying how the, the big price tag can often add more pressure and maybe lead to more criticism but the only reason Pogba received that criticism and still does is because he's so inconsistent even though his best is without a doubt the best that we have Pogba is still a very inconsistent player and so when he doesn't perform that's when the critics come but if you are a player that week in week out is putting in eight nine out of ten performances then of course you're not going to get that criticism and everyone's going to forget about it very soon. So yes, we have massively overpaid for Maguire, but quite frankly, I don't care. I think it's a very good signing. It's someone that was desperate to play for the club, unlike someone else that will come on to soon. And we've filled one of the biggest needs that we've had at this club, not just last season, but for the last four or five years. So at the end of the day, I, to me, this eighty-five million pound is is more than overdue to be spent on a centre back. Absolutely, and if, as you say, if in twelve months' time people have stopped calling him, stopped labelling, you know, you get like uh, Frank Lampard's Derby County, Stephen Gerrard's Rangers, and then you get players like Paul Pogba, the world's most expensive footballer, etc., etc. You get those labels that that seem to just always be with the player's name. You never, <laughs> at the start of Pogba's United career, you never got Paul Pogba. 
you've got world's most expensive player, Paul Pogba. And it happens with former managers going to slightly smaller teams as well. Um, if in 12 months' time people have stopped saying, before the words Harry Maguire have stopped saying world's most expensive defender, then he will have been a success. That's the, the barometer. And the, the thing I find strange is, is the, the criticism of this deal. It's apparently a sign of, of how incompetent United are that they waited to, to pay 80 million, which is what Leicester asked for at the start of the summer. But the idea that United should just not attempt to negotiate is, is baffling. Signing a player that, that we really wanted in a position that we really needed to strengthen from a club who did not need to sell Maguire at all and were in a really strong position, had a long contract with him. This is this is a kind of, of, of nonsense that, that is just being peddled around this summer and every summer. But this summer has been... Um, a, a crazy level of of weird both massive trust and mistrust in in journalists and and completely yeah. mental responses to to stories yeah it seems like there's just no there's no continuity in the way that people are viewing stories from different journalists i mean it, it's it's not that much of a surprise honestly it's just people on twitter mainly trying to make any journalist's narrative fit their own agendas really anyone who thinks that maguire is overpriced and that united's board can't do anything right will hang on any story they can that fit that agenda. Anyone who wants to focus on us, you know, trying to pay players massive wages will hang on every word that anyone says about potentially signing Paolo Dybala for 400,000 a week or whatever it's going to be. So, I mean, it's, like you said, it's been particularly bad this year, but it's just people on Twitter mainly just trying to constantly make their agendas, push their agendas. And that means that they'll just they'll believe anything that they hear that kind of fits what they're saying. And even if it comes from a very reputable source, they'll disbelieve anything that kind of goes against what they believe. So it's honestly, it's better to just ignore them mainly. Yeah, um, right. We should move on from Maguire. But I think that the, the consensus is that he's not an £80 million player, but by the time he leaves United, he could have been worth that £80 million. Um, and once that deal's completed, United would have spent £140 million this summer. And suddenly you're taken from a... a a very small summer spending for a club of United size and any Premier League club of, of around 65 million for James and Wambasaka to uh, the kind of total that you might expect from a, a finished and complete summer from United. Now, we have to hope that the, the, the summer signings are not yet complete. And obviously, as we're recording this, Maguire is not yet a Manchester United player. But we'll move on to um, to a, a, a kind of a weird love triangle of, of players. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, Paolo Dybala and Mario Mandzukic, two Juventus players and obviously Lukaku, the United striker. Um, I want to talk about Mandzukic before we get onto the, the shambles of a story that is, is Dybala and Lukaku. Um, Mandzukic, is, uh, when I saw this mentioned, it was, it was weirdly the one that I'd m- be most excited about. When I see Dybala mentioned, I think this is a player who I don't think wants to come to United and, and would only be coming for the money and because he's being forced out of his current club. Whereas I see Mandzukic and perhaps the same is true, he's coming for the money. But I think of Mandzukic and think that will be an incredibly clever bit of business from United. He's a fantastic striker, a big game player, has experience in, in a very positive way, not in the kind of Ashley Young way, <laughs> and offers something, or, or in the Manu Matic way, and offers something completely different to United's other strikers. And an alternative that isn't Marouane Fellaini, isn't something that we should be ashamed of, but... Uh, an excellent striker, aerial presence, um, a really good presser of the ball and a good finisher. It seems like if United can get this deal either included in, in some kind of deal for Lukaku or um, 
or as a separate signing would would be the the smartest move United have made in a couple of years. Yeah, I have to agree. I really like the idea of uh, of Mandzukic being at United. I've got to say, I can't say he's my favourite player just because he he scored against England in the semi final of the World Cup of the World Cup last year. Yeah, I mean, he, um, he reduced me to tears a year ago. Yeah, exactly. But no, I mean, in terms of of him as a player and potentially joining United, I think it would be a very smart move. I think he has the potential to have a similar impact to what we to what we saw in uh, through Ibrahimovic. I mean, just having that experience, Mandzukic is a, is a serial winner. He has been throughout his career. He had a great impact on Atletico Madrid. He's played well for Juve, you know, been involved in countless big matches. And I think at the end of the day, he'd bring a massive level of experience. He, he'd be a great leader in the dressing room. And like you said, he'd provide us something that we don't really have at the moment. He, I've got to say, Mandzukic is one of the best aerial presences I've ever seen play the game in the air as for a striker he is top top notch and I think like you said about the way he presses he works extremely extremely hard he's willing to play out on the right or the left as as well and do a job for the team and judging by the way that we've played in pre-season we do want to be pressing high we do want to be quite a high energy team and I think he would fit that very well yeah the thing with with Dybala I think we'll go into it more in a second but I'm with you that I think Manzukic would be a much better alternative and the fee that's being reported, obviously, as we've just said, no one really knows exactly what's going on. But the fee that's being reported is only around five or six million pounds. And that would represent, I think, the best piece of business that this board has done in a very, very yeah. long time. Um, talking about the, the pressing, he's a, he's a striker who, who constantly proves himself as the, the first line of defence, which is, is going to be vital if Solskjaer's setup is indeed a, a high pressing, high defensive line approach to the game with, with quick counterattacks. And the thing I find interesting is, is how he could fit into the team if he's going to be a first choice in, in the big games. Because he's not a traditional striker. He's got this great aerial presence, um, but he can also play wide or, or at least drift wide. He's certainly not a, a traditional striker. And you could see a scenario where you've got Rashford playing at number 10 behind Mandzukic and space is being opened up for him. And then you'd often see Mandzukic drifting wide to to cover for players from behind who come forward at Juventus, possibly helping Pogba, if he does stay, to enjoy a bit more freedom on the attack. And I think he'd offer balance to the side, an alternative, a very experienced big game player. And also, it's the kind of signing when you're this close to the start of the league season, when you, you need someone who can slot in immediately. Mandzukic knows how to play in a team that presses and that defends from from the front and other players might not fit into Solskjaer's squad and and the important thing for these players who have been playing under Mourinho Van Gaal and Moyes for the last five years is Mandzukic can help Solskjaer to change this team in, into the way that he wants it to be. Absolutely he's the, he's the kind of player that I think based on his experience he would be able to come in and just fit in very easily from, from day one and you look at the teams that he's had success in at the past mainly Atletico and Juve and they are teams that play this very high-octane, high-energy, high-press sort of game. And that's exactly what Solskjaer is trying to do with us this season, by judging by pre-season. So I think it, it would be a good option for us. The, the only thing I do worry about a little bit is going forward, we are tending to play, at least based on the style that we've seen so far in pre-season, we are, we are tending to play a very fast, a very quick, very fluid game going forward massively reliant on the pace of Martial, Rashford, Lingard, Dan James, etc. So I worry a little bit about the role Mandzukic might play in that. Although I could see a potential of him almost being like a fulcrum, playing as something of like a false nine sort of role where he's sort of the target man. Everyone's running off on, off of him with Rashford and Martial getting in behind and providing 
those runs to force the defenders to turn back towards goal. So we'll see what ends up happening with this, but I do think it's an exciting rumour. I think it's a very low risk signing based on the amount of money that we'd be paying. And I think even if he doesn't provide that much on the pitch, because I think he'd probably end up being a second choice striker at the moment. But even if he doesn't provide that much on the pitch, I think in the dressing room, he'd be a great presence to have and just brilliant to have that experience and a great plan B if we need a goal. Yeah. Now, Paolo Dybala, um, a a piece of news that kind of shocked everyone when Juventus seemed prepared to offer Dybala and either Cash or Mandzukic in exchange to sign Romelu Lukaku. Now, Lukaku has been linked into Milan all summer. Um, Antonio Conte has publicly spoken on on a number of occasions about his desire to bring Lukaku to the San Siro. Um, And then Juventus, being Juventus and being the biggest club in Italy, have won the Scudetto seven consecutive seasons, uh, come in and decide that they want Lukaku instead and in to go, all right, well, we'll wait to see if you complete the deal until we uh, resume our interest. Which... uh, just seeing reports from um, Sky Sports Italia right now saying Inter are preparing a fresh bid for Romelu Lukaku. Uh, they were believed to be around 10, 15 million euros off United's valuation uh, when Juventus came in. Now, Juventus offering Dybala plus money or Mazzucic for Lukaku, it, it seemed um, a, a kind of pie-in-the-sky offer. Now, I think I was slightly less excited than a lot of other United fans about the prospect of Dybala. And perhaps it's a lingering uh, distrust of big name players coming who don't really want to join the club uh, being forced out of, of one of the big European clubs I think Angel Di Maria um, and perhaps it's a, a slight matter of the fact that they're both Argentinian um, which I having lived in Argentina I would hope not cloud my judgement but there we go and yeah it's, it's an interesting I don't think I was that excited by Dybala now if United do end up signing him uh, the reports today suggest that United have pulled out of of any kind of Dybala swap option but if United do end up signing I think he'd be a fantastic option and could be a really really important player but that there's definitely a distrust from my point of view that he would perform for United the rumours for this deal really came out of nowhere I mean to deal with the Dybala side of it first one I think Dybala is not the same player that he was a few years ago when he first burst onto the scene with Palermo and then when he first moved to Juve he's had a very very up and down career there with a very much a down season last year, having not actually played too much. But secondly, we don't need another player that doesn't really want to come to United and is simply there to rack up huge wages every single week. I mean, Diabalas was saying he wanted to be earning in the range of sort of £400,000 a week. And that is astronomical wages that we've already paid to Alexis Sanchez, who doesn't deserve them anywhere near that based on his performances for United so far. He was another player who really didn't, necessarily want to come to United he wanted to go wherever he could get the most money which is why he accepted us over City we don't need another player who is there mainly just to earn money we have enough of those already and we can see that it's not working that's why I'm actually very happy with the three signings that we have made because they're clearly all players that actively wanted to be at United and who I think will actually give everything for the shirt I know that's a that's a massive cliche to just talk about playing for the shirt and you know really wanting to play for United, but it does make a big difference. And we've seen that with players in the last few years who don't really care about playing for United, simply are just there for the money and they don't put in a shift that you want and they don't seem to really care that much when things aren't going their way. So, I I mean, it was a shock when the rumours came out and initially I thought it was a great deal. But the more I thought about it, actually, Dybala isn't the player that a lot of people still think that he is. I mean, just look at his performances last year when he did get a chance. He isn't he isn't this world beater that a lot of us think he is. And I don't think it would have been 
a brilliant signing. So now with knowing, well, seemingly knowing anyway, based on what's happening in the media, that the deal is off. I think that the board have actually made the right decision to say that they're not interested if Dybala doesn't want to be at the club. Yeah, well, he's a kind of player who could regain his absolutely amazing form um, because the the seasons at, at Palermo and at Juventus, he, he showed, and a lot of people in Argentina thought that he could be the, the successor, not as good, but he could be the successor as, as the the linchpin in Argentina's national team side, the successor to Lionel Messi. They definitely don't think the same thing now. Um, having spoken to Argentinians who follow the game closely, they don't think Dybala can fulfil that role at all. And there is now a massive reliance on Messi for the next three or four years until the next World Cup. And no one thought that would be the case when Dybala was ripping up um, for Juventus two seasons ago. And yeah, as you say, United are, are right to turn away because if he's being forced to join the club by Juventus and has no desire to be here, is is if the only way he's going to be convinced is through money, then he's not the right player for United and for this team. Because it's not that every United player has to be a United fan. It's not that we can only sign people who have supported the club since they were four and, and grew up on, on, the, on the terraces or in the Stretford End. It's not that they have to be willing to die for the shirt. It's just that they want to play for United. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a simple requirement of modern football. If United have, have committed everything to, to this Dybala deal and now realise that he's asking for too much. Now, that's where this United board have perhaps been irresponsible because there are now five days left of the transfer window. Uh, four days when people are listening to this. There's no point of signing him. If they have an alternative, great. If they don't, then they've made a huge error. I'm hoping that United will sign an attacker and I think most of United's efforts should be based on signing another central midfielder. Yeah, the central midfielder is higher priority for me. Dybala would have... He's he's sort of... I think in a transfer window as important as this one for us, he's kind of almost like a luxury signing. He's the player that is a bonus to get, but he's not in a position, I don't think, of the highest need for United. Um, and for me, a central midfielder is 100% the highest priority, assuming that Maguire gets over the line, which it looks like he will. I mean, the one that we were all excited about was Bruno Fernandes. Again, the caveat to what I'm about to say is that it's the summer. It's mainly, you know, random journalist reports on Twitter. So who really knows what's going on? But it does seem like the deal for Bruno Fernandes isn't going to happen now. But having said that three days ago, it looked like it was about to happen imminently. So... We don't really know what's going on, but that for me is 100% the highest priority. We have to sign a central midfielder in the next few days. And from three or four days ago, when it looked like our, our transfer window might be Wan-Bissaka, James, Maguire, Dybala and Bruno Fernandes, it suddenly looks like we might be less with, left with just James, Wan-Bissaka and Maguire. And for me, that takes our transfer window from potentially very, very good to pretty average because central midfielder, I think, yeah. after centre-back was the second biggest need that we needed to fill. Well, I mean, we've lost under Herrera. We have, we need to replace a midfielder, let alone fill the void that has been there since Michael yeah, Carrick exactly. retired. Now, I I don't think United have ever been for been in for Bruno Fernandes because the, the reports indicate they signed for City in May, um, and then once that died down a bit, the reports were that United had a strong interest. City remained interested. Then that United had beaten City to the transfer. Then that Tottenham were coming in, and. It's not that uncommon for European players to massively drum up interest in their in their client, for the agents to, to drum up the interest in their client by creating these stories. And there probably isn't it. United have clearly scouted Bruno Fernandes, but were they ever did they ever offer for him? 
because j- journalists don't actually lie that they they will exaggerate things so all the reports always indicated that an offer is imminent from united which seems to suggest that united never made an offer um so i i i'd be extremely surprised if bruno fernandes is a united player yeah. come the, the chelsea well, I, game i think the thing that made me start doubting whether the bruno fernandes thing was going to happen was that was just how long it was taking because from what we'd heard from sport in lisbon over the summer was that they were willing to sell bruno fernandes and okay, the reported fee was around 60 or 70 million pounds, which is a lot. But for a club like United, it's definitely not out of reach. So for a player that is seemingly available, for a club that is willing to sell at a fee that is not insane, and especially when you think that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer at the start of the, of the, sorry, at the end of last season said that he wanted all of his business done by the start of pre-season. The fact that it kept dragging on for so long when we'd, he'd seemingly been on our radar for a long, long time. That made me start to doubt whether it was going to happen yeah. or not. And I think central midfield is a massive, massive issue. Now, you can look at the attack, and if, if you want to be pessimistic about United's attack, you could be extremely negative. Because you've got Martial and Rashford, two inconsistent strikers. You've got Mata, who occasionally performs, but slows United's play down massively and, and won't fit into this team. You've got Dan James, a young, again, inconsistent and raw talent whose final ball isn't good enough. Uh, Jesse Lingard, who can have massive purple patches but last season completely failed to perform uh, among many other players but th- the point remains and then you've got a midfield behind where without Pogba things just l- look absolutely woeful and I saw a good tweet from uh, at Man United Youth uh, a guy called Nick who said honestly don't think it's an exaggeration to say it matters very little who else we sign this week if Matic is still starting when all is said and done and yeah, I mean, so right. that means we have to sign a central midfielder. And so, as I say, you can look at the attack and be very pessimistic about it, but you could also be very optimistic. I don't think you can be at all optimistic about United's midfield. And if United are to sign anyone, I think it will be Sean Longstaff. In a, it's been extremely quiet on that front, but uh, a couple of journalists are maintaining that United are extremely interested in. And that's not the kind of thing that, people would continue because it's not the attractive story if 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 people were yeah. if if you get journalists who are begging for clicks they're going to focus on on Bruno Fernandes these other attractive european midfielders they're not going to keep saying united are, are genuinely interested in signing these newcastle united midfielders Sean longstaff um yeah that's exactly so right. i i would not be surprised at all if longstaff signed for united on either the day before deadline day or on deadline day itself for around 50 million pounds and I think that's the one that United are probably focusing on. That comes with no inside knowledge at all, just a gut feeling that that is the kind of player that United are going for. Um, and having judged the, the various press reports um, reasonably closely throughout the summer. If United don't assign a central midfielder and then we then have three weeks where Paul Popper could leave, then things could go terribly at the start of the season. I mean, if Paul, it doesn't matter who we sign for me. If Paul Pogba leaves, we're in for just an awful season. I don't see any way we're going to get any creativity in our side without Paul Pogba starting every every game. I mean, the, the, the midfield is just, yeah. there is no creativity in there at all. And I tweeted this the other day that I think McTominay should be starting against Chelsea next week, especially if we don't sign another midfielder. But Absolutely. as much as I like McTominay and as much as I want him to start, he needs Pogba alongside him. He needs that creative force there because that isn't his game. And that's fine. Yeah. Not every player needs to be creative. But McTominay can't. We can't think that if Pogba was to leave, McTominay could come in and play alongside Matic, and, and we'd be fine going forward. I mean, the thought of that as our midfield is is pretty frightening, to, to be honest. 
So we, I mean, yeah, we we have to sign a central midfielder by the end of the uh, by the end of the week. And it, as much as I liked the idea of the transfer window closing so early, like as the season started, it is now quite frustrating to think that we only have another week to get everything sorted. But quite frankly, that's not the fault of the transfer window closing so early. That's the fault of us for dilly dallying so much and wasting so much time with these transfers. Especially when Ollie was saying yeah. from the very start that he wanted everything done by preseason, and I think we had well, we had James Dunn and Wamba Saka almost done by the start of preseason. I think. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, this is a summer without any international tournament for for men's yeah. football. You had the Copa America, but there was no European international football tournament. The place where United are going to focus their attentions in the transfer window, and so this is a perfect summer where it doesn't matter how early the transfer window closes because. You could already be focusing on your on your transfers as soon as the season ends, and you could have them completed within within a few weeks. Yeah, and the closer you get to the deadline, the bigger the fees get. And, it, and again, it look it looks like all of the people that we might sign are people that we were supposedly interested in long before the end of last season. And so, all right, again, we don't we don't know what was going on inside the building. We don't know if we actually were interested in Harry Maguire last year, or if we were interested in him at the end of May. But judging by reports, we were, and so. Why? And the same with Bruno Fernandes as well, although that doesn't look like it's going to happen now. And same with Sean Longstaff too. That that rumor has been out there since you know the very end of of the season. So why has it taken us two months, pretty much, to get these signings over the line when they're the exact same people for basically the exact same price that we were interested in back in June? Yeah, it's it's baffling. Now on the point about our midfield without Paul Pogba. Let's move on to talk about a couple of the, the pre-season games. We last recorded before the... Uh, we beat Inter Milan and then we, we went on to beat Spurs, Christensen with a, a last-minute penalty, um, and then AC Milan. So I think we kind of got less and less convincing as, as pre-season went on. And I think, to be to be honest, it, it was a good pre-season. Yeah, uh, transfer window aside, a, a clear focus on fitness. United worked for 11 days in Australia, including the matches, but some some serious sessions and the team's fitness levels have, have, have improved. And it looked like there was a behind closed behind closed doors game against Blackburn as well yeah. the day after the AC Milan game. Yeah, in which uh, reportedly Harry Maguire watched on and uh, Jesse Lingard scored twice, I think, in, in Greenwood and Chong um, against Blackburn's under-23s, I think it was. But United in, in Australia had 11 days of serious fitness work and Solskjaer was probably not too happy with the fact that they didn't have to travel to Singapore, China and, and Norway, but... United managed to get that fitness work in. So pre-season have been positive, things have looked good, there's a clear idea of a system, transfer window aside. But then you you start to look at the, the AC Milan game where Paul Popper was injured and, and didn't play and stayed back in, in Manchester. Although he did uh, get some minutes in that behind-closed-door game against, against Blackburn. Um, and you think, you watch that midfield and, and there's just an absolute dearth of, of creativity, as you say. Matic is, is woeful, um, still looks slow. Uh, and to be fair, is is I mean, he played with an injury for the majority of, of the last two seasons. So it's not surprising, but United cannot be starting him anymore. Uh, Fred does not look good enough. Andres Pereira does not look good enough. McTominay is providing a little more creatively than he was last season. He's coming into his own and I think will be a, a really important player. And actually, I wrote a, a season preview for Vavil on United and my, my one player to watch was, uh, well... My one player to watch was Mason Greenwood, but the the player I think who who will stand out is is Scott McTominay. Stand out in a in a less obvious way than some other players. I think McTominay will be vital. But United against AC Milan, I think that was a worrying sign for 
what things could be like. Yeah, I agree. I think just firstly on, on Scott McTominay, I think he's the major positive from preseason. He's looked very, very good. Played well at the back end of last season too. And I think in this, this, the style that Oli wants to play with this high press, I think he suits that perfectly because he is that he does have a brilliant engine. He does have the stamina to be able to pull that off in midfield for 90 minutes. And on the ball, he looks like he's improving every game as well. Warning signs were there against AC Milan, definitely. We just, midfield is just so passive again. And at this point, there is very, very little that Nemanja Matic brings to our team because the one thing we were surprised at when he first signed for United in his first few months was how good he was on the ball. He was surging forward, he was playing incisive passes. That went out the window very quickly, but at least he was still offering us something defensively. But now he doesn't even offer us anything defensively. The game bypasses him because he's so slow. I mean, his legs have just absolutely gone in the last six to eight months. I mean, he just the game bypasses him so, so easily. And he's, he's basically like a passenger now. AC Milan's first goal comes from him actually receiving a very good pass from David De Gea first time into his feet when he dropped him in between the centre-backs as we tried to play out. And he miscontrols it on the turn and he gets dispossessed yeah. and AC Milan go through and score. I mean, that's in a nutshell is exactly why Nemanja Matic cannot play for us. Yeah. Now, let's look ahead to the Chelsea game. I'm going to give you my, my predicted starting lineup, not the one I want to start. I think we'll start with De Gea, uh, Wambasaka, Lindelof and Maguire with Luke Shaw on the left-hand side. Matic, Pogba and Fred, even though I think McTominay should start. I think Dan James on the right, Martial on the left and Rashford through the middle is my predicted, not not the, the hoped for starting lineup. I'll give you a, a, a few seconds to think about yours. And it, it's an interesting game because it's a good time to play Chelsea, obviously. They haven't had a, an excellent pre-season. They've got some serious injury problems and obviously haven't been able to sign anyone in this window. You've got Frank Lampard after one season at Derby. He did a good job, but after one season in management, um, coming in to, to take on Chelsea and his first game away at Old Trafford. So I think it's a good one for United to start with and it also gets a big game out of the way, um, which I think is a massive positive. I think some people think, oh, you really want an easy start to the season. But actually, if you get a couple of these big games out of the way, obviously they count for the same amount of points. But as you get closer to the end of the season, they start counting as as, as a lot, lot more. Um, or not counting, but appearing to have that... <laughs> that uh, kind of feel so I think it's a good game to start with for United and uh, what's your predicted starting lineup and predicted score predicted starting lineup would probably be De Gea Wambasaka, Maguire Lindelof Shaw Matic Pogba Rashford Lingard James Martial predicted I, th- I agree I agree with you that I think it's a good a good game to have first up actually of all the big teams this is the one that I'd want first game of the season because I think Chelsea are vulnerable I really do I mean you look at their squad and it's very weak, honestly. I'd, e- I'd even say weaker than ours at, at this point. I mean, Christian Pulisic... Hey, definitely, is, they're, they're striking options. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Christian Pulisic is a very exciting player and I am actually very excited to watch him play in the Premier League because I think he could do very good things. But outside of that, I mean, it's sorely lacking for any sort of... any Anything that would really worry you too much. I mean, the likes of Ross Barkley, Willian, Giroud, Loftus-Cheek. I mean, they're all, they're all good players, but there's nothing in there that makes you think... You know, you really have to worry about them too There's much. There's no Eden Hazard type of player, is there? No, exactly, exactly. So I think it's a good one for us to have first up. Prediction, I've got to start off with United getting a win. I'll go with a, a come from behind 2-1 win. Interesting. Will Will United have the character to come from behind on the first game of the season? Um, I'm going to go with a, a, a 2-1 win, but kind of a, a reasonably comfortable one um, where we go ahead and then 1-1 and, and then get the winner. Kind of quite early on in the second half 
that was more detail than we usually give for our, our predictions. Um, yeah. <laughs> normally, it's just a score. Um, There's a lot can, that can go wrong in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, we're not going to do a, a full looking at the entire season, but where do you think United will finish? And, and what are you expecting for this season? Because I think if United don't sign anyone but Maguire, win for some, some serious shit. Uh, if United do sign some other players, but if United sign a central midfielder and uh, maybe another forward, as well as Maguire, we'll have a team with a core of, of 50 million plus players and we'll have a good team. That that will be a good team. And yet, I still have no confidence it will be in anything other than a, a scrappy battle for top four or worse. And I'm desperate to be proved wrong, but I can't see anything but that happening. Um, comfortably achieving top four will be, will be brilliant. But I think United will finish fifth this season. I think it's going to be scrappy. I think there's going to be some serious down periods. Um particularly when it, it starts getting busy around the festive period because United's midfield depth particularly, but also in other areas in the squad, it, is poor. And if United's strikers, who are already inconsistent, have bad periods at the same time, then we're going to have some, some bad periods. It's, it's the depth that worries me, 100%. Across the field, to be honest, we don't have the depth that we need across the pitch. And midfield is the biggest worry. But up front, I mean, all right, we have some very talented young players, but... Are we really going to be relying on them if Martial or Rashford has some bad form or one of them gets injured? You know, that there isn't, you know, a couple of injuries and a few months into the season, we could be lining up with a front three of Dan James, Mason Greenwood and Tahith Chong. And as much as I think all three of them are great talents, it's not yeah. a good position to be in when you're relying on them after two injuries to your strikers. So that is a big worry. I'm with you that if, if we, at the start of the week, when it looked like we might be signing Fernandez and Dybala or even, or even just Fernandez, I was thinking this team, this team could be, could get third. That was my thought. I think if you put Fernandez and Dybala in our starting eleven, and our strongest eleven would then be De Gea, Wan-Bissaka, Maguire, Lindelof, Shaw, McTominay, Pogba, Fernandez, Martial, Rashford, Dybala. To me, that's the, that is the third best starting eleven in the league. Without those two players, though, especially without Fernandez, and with the lack of depth that we have up front, I, it's going to be very tough. And I think fifth is is the realistic option there. I think we will we will be ahead of Chelsea, but I don't see us nudging ahead of that top four. I think Arsenal have got better in over the summer with the addition of Nicolas Pepe. I think is a great signing. Spurs have got have got better as well. Some of the signings that they've made, especially in Dombele and City and Liverpool, were light years ahead of us already and still are. So I don't see us breaking into that the top four. The thing is, you say even if we sign, make those signings and have the third start, best starting eleven in the league. A, you've got the issue of depth as we've both mentioned, but also. United quite clearly don't have one of the top five managers in the league. As much as I love Solskjaer and as much as I, I'm actually now confident that he's doing the right things at United. And uh, all of that, and I, I like him and think he's currently the right man for Man United. Um, he's still not the third best manager in the league and he's not in the top five. And you could argue he's in, he's in the bottom five most impressive managers in the league. Now, obviously, there's there's the debate around could the managers who are really good with the small clubs do the same job at a big club with the pressure and, and the money and everything. But relatively, Solskjaer is not in the in the top ten managers in the league. So, yes, there's that we could have the third best starting eleven in the league and still not be the third best team in the league because of of, of that. As much as I like Solskjaer and, and think he's doing a good job so far, um, an interesting thing that's just come out is that Juventus will go again for Lukaku and perhaps offer a different player that's not Dybala, which could, United could ask for someone like uh, Sami Khedira 
or uh, Blaise Matuidi. Uh, again, some older players, some experienced players, um, but ones who could play in, in central midfield instead, which could be a good possibility for United. So, where do you think United will finish? I'm going with fifth. I, I just I can't see us breaking into that top four. I really no, I can't. Think, uh, yeah, I think fifth ahead of ahead of Chelsea is probably the most likely. Gonna be an incredibly tough job for Lampard. But I do. I mean, I do, I do think though, if if Juventus still are in for Lukaku, I do think asking for Matuidi and or Kadira is a good option. They're not long-term solutions, but both can still play at a high level and are the exact kind of midfielder that we need. Well, the problem is at this stage, you're not with five days left in the transfer window, you're not going to find a long-term solution to any kind of problem. No, um, no. And, and that's United's fault. Um, probably not the best note to end on, but uh, let's hope we're proved wrong about everything in United to go and, and trounce Just quickly, actually, league. just to go back to what you were saying about Solskjaer, I couldn't agree more that I, I don't think he's the best, the best manager that we could have at this point. I don't think he's one of the best 10 managers in the league. But I must say, I've been impressed with the strides that we've made in pre-season. It's not been perfect. And there were some, some worrying signs against AC Milan in particular. But I do think that they've, he's put in some very, very good work over the summer. We clearly have come back with a much more defined style to our team. And we've been putting it into practice during the preseason games. And ultimately, during preseason, that is what all you can ask for, really. The results don't matter so much. It's more about trying to get a sort of early look at what the style you're trying to implement is going to look like on the pitch. And the early signs are very good. So although I'm not massively confident in Solskjaer, I've, I, I am impressed with what he's done over the summer so far. Yeah, and there are reasons to be positive. Look, we've got, um, we've got Marcus Rashford playing up front for us we've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer managing us we've got some players who really want to be at the club playing and we're on our way to playing a kind of football that is at least more entertaining if not more successful um, and we've got the ability the to spend a lot of money that's the big thing to look forward to I think next season is it's the football you know we are there is no way we are going to be as boring as we were last season <laughs> and it you know we, I'm not saying we're going to win every game but Every single game, I think, is going to be entertaining. You will see us put pressure on teams. You will see us move the ball quickly. And I think you will at least see us play a more exciting brand of football. And at the end of the day, if we're going to miss out on top four, I'd rather do it in an exciting style rather than playing the turgid football we were playing under Mourinho. Yeah, and I think we're going to have some fun this season. And I don't think we're going to be very successful. But there we go. And we're going to see a lot of young kids playing. We're going to see players who already come through in Rashford and McTominay. And then we're going to see the we're going to see Mason Greenwood, Heath Chong, Angel Gomez, Jimmy Garner, Ethan Laird. There are some exciting things happening at United, even though there is a lot of things to be, this be could, grumpy about. I, I think, yeah, that that, that is probably as the other the other exciting thing that this season could, in five years' time, we could look back on this season and say that it was the start of something quite special at United because we do have some extremely talented youngsters coming through. And the one good thing about us not making the signings that we want is that they will get the opportunity. You also look at actual Twanzebe as well, yeah. who I think is, is assuming we sign Maguire is is straight away the third best centre back at the club, um, and it wouldn't surprise me to see us playing five at the back a few times next season because I think that could really suit us. And then I think you'd see hopefully Twanzebe coming into that team, and I think that is a solid back three with, of Twanzebe, Maguire in the middle, marshalling the defence, and Lindelof on the left. Yeah, right. We must wrap things up. We've been talking for a very long time, but hopefully people don't uh, people don't mind that. 
um, hopefully some interesting things. Thank you very much for listening, as always, to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. This has been Series 5, Episode 2. Uh, plenty more coming throughout the season, regular. Um, we had a, about a week and a half between this episode, but we will now be having uh, weekly episodes. Now the Premier League kicks off next week. Football is back. Um, and I am excited to, to watch United, which I didn't think I'd be saying a month ago. And I, I still think there's a lot more to be done, but I'm excited to watch United play again. Um, for more from us uh, throughout the Chelsea game and throughout the week, um, before we come back for Episode 3 of this series, you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself is at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there thank you as always for listening have a great week goodbye Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.